0: My name is Christian Ashley, a seminary student and servant of God, and you are listening to the Let Nothing Move You podcast, a proud Anazal Ministries podcast. Welcome back to the Let Nothing Move You podcast, and I'm your host, Christian Ashley, and a special Merry Christmas to everyone out there right now. If this is releasing when I think it is, this will be on Christmas Day proper. So I hope you all have had a fun time with family and friends out there just uh, enjoying one another's company. And I know that's what we'll be doing. We'll have a special dinner that is going to be a special lunch that day. And then later on, my brother and sister-in-law and niece are coming back into town. So I'm looking forward to that to having a great time with everyone. So once again, I hope you guys are as well. So we'll be getting into Genesis today through the chapters 12 through 13, starting in verses one through three. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now we start here with our new protagonist of Genesis and Abram. We'll get to the Abraham parts later on, but for now, just call the man Abram. He, while wealthy for the time, as we will find out later on, is still ultimately a nobody in the grand scheme of the powers that be in his lifetime. He wasn't a Babylonian king. He wasn't, you know, um, a Hittite general or an Egyptian pharaoh or a scribe or priest or whatever. No, he was just some guy. Who was in Ur of Babylonia, of the Chaldeans. And God said, I want you to come to me in this new land that I'm going to take you to and become a new person there, to become my person there. Like we're introduced to Abram so very suddenly with very little buildup for why God would consider him worthy of being the person responsible for carrying out God's will on the earth. Yet God chose him anyways. And one of the greatest reoccurring events in the Bible is the idea of God choosing the ones no one else would choose to glorify his name and get his work done on the earth. And the very same is true of you and I. Like, very few of us could consider ourselves to be high up in society, have immense wealth or what have you. Yet God selected us to be his. And we said yes, when prompted. And that just doesn't mean like, hey, no one who's rich, they, they can't be part of the kingdom of God. It, or no one who you know has immense influence, they can't be in the kingdom of God. That's not the point. So the point is, God chooses the people, we would all go, he can't, no, he can't do anything for God. Like, Why couldn't he choose this king? Or why couldn't he choose this president or prime minister or, you know, this pastor? Why not choose this person? But God says, I'm going to choose them instead. And Abram is one of those people. And it's at this point in his life, like he has moved from where he used to live, but God is asking him to do it again, to leave his safety net, to leave everything he knows behind just so God can bless him elsewhere. Well, why can't God do it there? Because that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't what God had in mind. This is part of the faith that is developing in Abram, an imperfect faith, just like every single person who follows God, but a faith nonetheless, that when God says, do this, we say, yes, Lord, and go. And in our very human way, screw it up along the way, or even when we perfectly follow it, maybe the next time we get it wrong, that's okay. You look at the people of the past. That's why we read this stuff. Go, Oh, they were no one. Even if they were somebody, we look at them. And go, oh, they screwed up, and God still used them. Abram is someone we're going to see multiple times over make the same mistakes, the same problems, cause immense strife in his his marriage and his household because he's thinking of what he wants rather than what God wants. And yet at that same time, that same man who does all those bad things, brings glory into the world, has other people recognizing the wonders of God because he himself is faithful. Because he's a human being capable of both faith and great evil. But ultimately, he is heralded as someone who is faithful to God. So God gives him the task leave where you're at, leave your safety bubble, go somewhere else. And for someone like me who doesn't like change, this would be something God would directly say to me, which he has done in the past. I'm going to be like, no, I don't want to change. I like things here. I like being content here. And that's the exact opposite of where I need to be. It was never in my idea, in my in the cards for me, in my mind, to leave North Carolina behind and go to Kentucky for seminary because I didn't want to leave when I had. I had a good thing going on here. It wasn't perfect by any stretch and imagine, but that's also my rose-colored glasses looking that, hey, you were deficient here. You weren't going out as much as you should have with friends. You were spending too much time in your room. You were living in this these sins here, not letting anyone else know about them. But now you're in a different environment where, yeah, you're still a sinful person, covered by that grace from uh, Jesus' sacrifice, but you're doing far more than you would have if you'd remained where you were. And Abram is doing far more than he would have done because he said yes, because he leaves. Now, God also does something extraordinary when he promises to bless Abram in the fact that a great nation will be made from him. And as we get further in the chapter, we'll talk more about uh, where, where God wants him to go and so on and so forth. But for here, like, We see that God, with the information presented to us now, because there's more to say from God, we see the start of God's plan to not only bless Abram and his descendants, but also the entire earth through the eventual birth of Jesus from Abram's line. And that doesn't happen the way it happened in our timeline without Abram saying yes to God. And furthermore, God promises to bless those who bless Abraham. And he promises to curse those who dishonor him. God's people are his to govern and protect at his leisure. Nowhere in scripture where you see God promising uh, a Jewish believer, a Christian, what uh, uh, a Gentile, whatever, that, hey, everything's fine. You're mine now. No more strife, no more troubles. It's smooth sailing from here. That does not exist in scripture. And it doesn't always seem like he's guarding us. Like there have been plenty of times in my own life where I go, where are you? Why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you here? But more than likely, it's because I was mired in my own sins or I wasn't willing to listen or I heard and said, no, that can't be from him. Nah, he would definitely tell me to keep doing what you're doing. You're just doing fine, Christian, when he's saying the exact opposite. Like I said, it doesn't always seem like he's guarding us. But in light of eternity, the protection we have is something that no foe on this earth can ever take from us. No matter how they harm us or how we harm ourselves, if you're his, you're golden. But once again, that doesn't promise you everything's going to be okay. It does promise us that we're his, that he loves us, he'll look after us, regardless of what happens, he's there. And I'm here to tell you, if you hear ever anyone who claims to be someone speaking for him, that if you just serve him, and if you just give this money, or if you just come to church then nothing bad will ever happen to you again. You'll get everything, all the blessings from God, run in the other direction. They're trying to sell you something or they're trying to get your money. They don't care about your soul because they know it's false and they're trying to run a con on you because nowhere in scripture does it ever say, you're mine or therefore nothing bad is ever going to happen to you because bad things happen to a lot of really good people in this book. And we'll move on from there to Genesis uh, 12, 4 through 9. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now, Lot, uh, last time we did see him mention he is Abram's nephew and one who has a very wild place in the biblical narrative. Now, his father, uh, Aaron had um, died in the previous chapter and Abram may have become his primary caregiver or what is probably more likely is that Lot sensed the opportunity to grow away from his other family and chose to join uh, Abram to seek this prospective possibility of wealth with his uncle. Regardless, Lot is one of those characters we see, one of those real people we see in the Bible who's like, he was so close sometimes and I just don't think he got there. But that's part of the narrative, too, is that there are plenty of people who benefit from being around God and his people. And maybe I'm being too harsh on him. Maybe he's a lot better than I give him credit for. Like, I don't know the man's soul. Never once saw it in my life. That's not my power. But from the text, the way I read it, I see someone who strayed a little more than he should have. But Lot is someone that is fascinating to study because he's given all these opportunities and consistently makes the wrong ones even when God continues to bless him when he doesn't deserve it which is a very comforting thing to hear from someone who often does the exact opposite thing he's supposed to do and still gets God's blessings eventually along the way that's a lot and as we continue on in this chapter like there's something I do want to bring up I don't want to make it like a primary point but like it's something that if I glossed over like I would feel very like I don't know what the word is like uh, I don't know a coward maybe if I didn't bring it up like like much has been made of the seemingly anachronistic line that at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Now, if you're like, uh, what the heck does that mean? Well, that means if you're like me and you believe that Moses is the author of the Pentateuch, except for that part of Deuteronomy where he dies, and it's probably Joshua who fills in and writes it for him, then that means they're writing. he's writing it at a time when the Canaanites still are in the land. So why would you make a note of that? If it's not something special, well, of course they live in the land at this point in time because they already live there. Well, there's a couple of things, a couple of factors brought on here. Like uh, lots of speculation has occurred as to whether or not this is perhaps an addendum made to the text may, uh, by a later author or if the entire book was written later and Moses is falsely attributed as its writer. And like, you know, there are several ways around this idea. Like, one could be that the intent of the author was to show that the land promised to Abram was originally owned by someone else at that time in Abram's history. That's why it specifies at that time, you know, for Abram, would be like, well, at that time, God had promised him this, but he wasn't the owner yet because the Canaanites were. Now, another would be that uh, the Israelites were more than likely, like everyone else around them, for the most part, who wasn't like in a position of high power, pretty much historically ignorant. And needed reminders that the land of Canaan had long uh, that the land of Canaan had long been owned by the inhabitants of the land who were Canaanites, which would help them realize that they would need to dispossess them after Moses' passing. That's certainly a possibility, because I mean, if you think about it, we are in a very blessed age right now, to where if I have a question, chances are uh, when it comes to history, I'm going to have the opportunity to learn that answer. Because we have this wonderful thing called the internet, and even if the internet didn't exist, I could go to a library, or I could go to somewhere that sells books and go. Oh, I need to look up the history of the Acadians, and I go. Oh, let me just go here to this library. Let me go to this bookstore. Let me go on the internet, and I can get that information real quickly. They don't have that luxury. Like at this point in time, you know, I don't think it's part of the Israelite curriculum. You know, what's going on in um, uh, let's say uh, it's too early for that. Uh, what's going on in Polynesia right now? Like, Because they don't have contact with them. Or you know, say, hey, even for someone close to them, like, hey, who was the Pharaoh, three Pharaohs before the Pharaoh we just left Egypt from? Maybe they know, but I'm sure it's not part of the curriculum. So they need someone smart enough to tell them, hey, this is what happened in this message delivered by God. So that could be a reason. Now, other scholars, Uh, would argue that Moses was never the original writer of Genesis and that this serves as proof of this. Others would say it doesn't matter because Canaanites still lived in Israel through the biblical narrative because the Israelites didn't finish the job. I'm sorry, spoilers for those of you who are just uh, vicariously reading through me. They don't do it. That, That task they're told, hey, get rid of them all, doesn't happen. The Gibeonites still exist because they make a treaty with them under false pretenses. They don't get the Philistines out. They don't get the other Canaanites out. So, they lived intermarried and intermingled with the Israelites. So, of course, they still live there to today. So, that's what the point of those people would say. So, regardless of what it is, like, I encourage you to go out and do your own research and see where you land. And please feel free to reach out to me if you find something I neglected or overlooked as an argument for or against this. Like, I'm always interested to hear other sides of this. Like, I know I I said I wouldn't focus too much on this, but here we are anyways. I love being given alternatives to arguments I already know because that's information I didn't have before. And that's something I can use to strengthen my own arguments. Like, you know, out of these, I, I kind of prefer like the whole it was at that time. That in at the time of Abram. That's why it's mentioned that way or whatever. But like, I don't know for sure, but that's what I prefer. There are plenty of great people out there who've done a ton of research on this. So just look it up, ask questions. But as we go back into the narrative proper, we see that now that he has entered the land that was promised, Abram is once again contacted by God and given a promise, one that says the land will belong to his offspring. Now, God doesn't say when this will happen or how it will happen, but Abram follows him faithfully and creates multiple altars to glorify him. On such a long and arduous journey, this is no joke, especially back in the day. like, I mean, it's a war-torn area right now, certain parts of this journey, but it's doable in a way that it's not as doable here. It takes time and effort, and you're going to need to protect yourself in ways that don't exist now. Throughout that whole journey, from Haran all the way down to Canaan, God protected Abram every step of the way, even in the midst of what's going to be happening next. And with that in mind, we'll go through Genesis 12:10 through 20. Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her, the Pharaoh. And the woman was taken in the Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great, house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now at the very start of this, remember, God promised blessings to Abram. And what is Abram's reward? Well, a famine, which is not only an ecological disaster for people in general, but to a farmer. Is immensely terrible because he is dependent on the land to survive. And if the land isn't giving him what he needs, his flocks aren't going to live. His crops aren't going to yield anything. So, how can a loving God allow this to happen? Like, God promised blessings. But we see throughout all of scripture and history and in our own lives, God allows evil in the world, even to those who are his. Evil happens to Christians. It happens to Jews, it happens to Muslims, it happens to atheists, to agnostics, it happens to every single person on this world. Never once has God ever said, you're not going to be hurt by any evil actions taken by another. In fact, we're told the opposite. Be wary, be shrewd, take care of yourselves. But why? Why would he allow that? There are several reasons. Oh, well, because we started the book with this, by the way, sin has entered the world, and sin naturally corrupts what was meant to be something pure and holy and glorifying to God. Instead, we live in a world created by him that has fallen. And part of that fallen state is that evil is allowed to be in the world. It's not like God is going, yes, evil. I'm so happy about that because he could take it away at any time if he wanted, but he doesn't. And some would say that makes God cruel. Some would say that means God hates us. I would uh, disagree highly. It is God's mercy that allows us to live in a state where we don't deserve to live. And I've said it multiple times before. So I'm not going to repeat the same words, hopefully, when I say what's next. God is unfair. And I just did it already. And that is good. Because if he was fair, totally fair, you and I wouldn't be here. The moment we sin, we'd be gone. But because God is unfair, we have a chance. And part of that being unfair is allowing sin in the world to cause harm, to cause terrible things to happen. But he also placed us in this world, beings capable of doing good in his name to fight against that evil in a world that doesn't deserve anyone to fight for it. He placed us in it. So Abram has to experience a famine. And what does he do? He leaves. But before that, we also, if we look back at what God said, he never promised Abram that he would protect him from all harm, but that he would bless him. So remember that as these events unfold. Also notice that God isn't consulted by Abram to uh, by Abram on his decision to leave the land God promised to him and his descendants. Abram just kind of does this. Now, maybe he does talk to God. It's not in the text, but we do see a lack of a conversation here. So I'm going to lean towards, mm, he made this decision on his own and didn't consult God. So why would God bless what Abram wasn't supposed to do? God said, go in this land. He didn't say, hey, leave this land. And go to Egypt for a bit. I I know things are tough here, but you'll eventually be able to come back. Like God says nothing on that. Abram makes his own decision here, and it costs him. And even though it costs him, God protects him and blesses him in the midst of something he doesn't deserve to be blessed in. How's that for God? If that sounds unfair, good. We deal with an unfair God. So instead, like, and don't get me wrong, like, this is a logical play by Abram. Hey, this land In Canaan is suffering a famine. What nation is not? Well, it doesn't seem like Egypt is suffering from the famine. So logically, oh, well, I can just move into Egypt, uh, stay here for a bit, wait it out, and eventually I'll go back. Like From a logical point of view, there's nothing wrong with that, except for the fact that Abram knows better, that he knows he should be consulting God about his decisions. He should be asking him, and the same is true of us. Why do we make decisions without consulting him? Why? Because we think we know best. Abram thought he knew best. Now, perhaps if Abram had remained in Canaan, things would have improved eventually. But we won't know the outcome of that what if scenario because he decided to do things his way and he suffered for it. Now, here we also see Abram in his storytelling here tell a half lie. Sarai, as we'll find out, is his half sister. But that doesn't excuse the heart behind the lie. It's like, oh, just tell them you're my sister. That is true from a certain point of view, but unlike Jedi truths, there are absolute truths, and it is absolutely true that Sarai is his wife. His intent was deception for his own benefit in order to save his own hide, and it was a deception that spiraled into something that sh- would have created more sin in the world. He is immensely—lucky uh, is the wrong word here—he Like he is, should be tremendously grateful to God that nothing happened sexually between Sarai and Pharaoh. God could have allowed that to happen, but instead he chose to protect them because logically in this scenario, that's what would happen because from Pharaoh's point of view, he's not doing anything wrong because she's an unmarried woman. And as Pharaoh, I am the God King of this country. So I can add any woman I want to my inner harem here. And that's what he would do because that's what Pharaoh's could do. That doesn't make it right, but that's what they did. So Abram's strategy is flawed here. And not only all that, like, notice how he talks to his wife. And then please never do this. He makes it Sarai's problem for being so beautiful that it's a curse, something that she can't control just so he can feel justified in his sinful reasonings to save himself, ignoring the trouble this would place her in as a woman who seems to not be married just based on this lie they're telling. Can we see where he went wrong multiple times over when it came to his marriage, when it came to loving his wife as himself? He chose himself over her. It's a wonder Sarai came back to him. I wouldn't blame her. But throughout it all, even in Abram's sin, God protects. God is sovereign. He protects Sarai from being attacked in the midst of a situation she has no control over. God even gives Abram, through his relationship with Pharaoh, gifts that Abram is able to use to get even richer than he already is. Because God is sovereign, God is watching over us even when we don't serve Him. So we get to this point where Abram leaves, and that's good, because he shouldn't be in that situation anymore. Pharaoh is being very merciful, by the way. Like he has made a laughing stock of him. Like we're not exactly told like how Pharaoh has learned that God Himself is afflicting his house with these plagues. Like maybe he had diviners in his court, or maybe God spoke directly to him. But there we go. Either way, Pharaoh somehow learns the information. Now, how I would have written it, but I'm also not the author of scripture, and I need to shut up sometimes when it comes to criticizing the narrative structure of the Bible. But this is the start of something that is going to be a pattern not only in Abram's life, but in his son's life. This idea of, oh, I learned the wrong lesson from this. God protected me when he didn't need to, when he shouldn't have protected me, and I got all scot-free for telling a lie. Well, I'm going to do it again. He's going to do it in, was it Genesis 20? And he's going to do it, uh, Isaac is going to do it in Genesis 26, I think. So you see what happens here is us learning the wrong lesson. Abram learning the wrong lesson. Oh, goodness gracious, I cannot speak. Wrong lesson. God didn't need to protect him, but he chose to do it anyway. So Abram thinks, oh, well, God just bail me out whenever I want to. No. So I can say whatever I want. No. That's going to cause harm to him later on, and it's going to cause harm to his family. The sins of the father reflect on the sins of the son. Uh, Sons are looking up to their dads. Oh, dad does this. That makes it okay. And from there, we'll go into Genesis 13, starting in verses 1 through 7. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and I, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Now, we see here that despite the events of the last chapter, God being who he is still blesses Abram because he's made a promise. He blessed him financially to the point where he was becoming a major factor in the land of Canaan. But success can sometimes bring strife within family. And Lot, desiring and not unreasonably so, to become his own man, seeks a place for his own. Now, uh, when it comes to scripture, like we're not directly told that, you know, Lot had like I said earlier the same relationship with God that Abram does, And to me, when I'm reading this, it seems like his choices kind of hint at the fact that he didn't have the best relationship with God, that maybe he wasn't so faithful, maybe he was never faithful. But for now, see how he is being blessed by God because he blesses Abram with his love towards his uncle and his family. But even in the midst of that, problems arise. Blessings are happening. It is a good thing To be this wealthy, it is a good thing to have all these animals under their control. To have all this money, this is good. But they're getting too big for their britches. God is blessing them to the point where they're not able to handle it. So what do they do? Well, they're going to have to separate for now. And this appears at the moment that Lot, being blessed by God, is going to make the wrong decision later on. And we'll we'll get to those when we get to those. But don't forget where Lot started. In this chapter, he starts off as someone being blessed by God. I'll go through 8 through 18, and we'll finish this chapter. Uh, Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring, forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved this tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, as noted before, that there's tension between two different factions here. They're both incredibly wealthy, Abram and Lot. Their herdsmen are fighting with the other herdsmen about land and the rights to where their flocks can go. So what do they do? Well, Abram, being the older and wiser man, having more maturity, offers Lot a choice to take land for his own. They both need large amounts of land to feed and offer water uh, to their livestock because that's um, immensely necessary to a father. But Abram, showing some very rare humility, offers Lot the chance to pick first not wanting to hurt his nephew's chances of success. That is a good thing. Like, this is a good way to handle a dispute between family members. One is giving up something, knowing that they're both going to end up doing well, but Abram could have easily just said, well, I'm older, God is directly talking to me, so I'm going to take what I want. No. Instead, he called upon the name of the Lord, as he does earlier in this chapter, and he seeks a way for there to be peace between him and his nephew. Now, Lot chooses to land around the Jordan Valley, which once again, a perfectly logical choice to do as it provided lush environments to get his work done. However, as is hinted in this chapter, and as we will see in later chapters, it was also a land filled with evil and evil men, one, a group of whom would directly influence him. Lot was thinking short term, and for this, he ends up punishing himself without realizing it. And we can do the exact same thing as we see and sense opportunity and don't think through those decisions leading us into temporary success, only to end up in future anguish. Now, when these choices are presented to us, we must be vigilant and shrewd. We need to learn from Lot and Abram's example. There is nothing inherently wrong with the land. It is the people that are going to corrupt Lot and his family, and he should know better. But he doesn't. He's more youthful. He makes a more impetuous decision. But once again, also a logical decision from a worldly point of view. But we can't let ourselves be clouded by that. And that causes us harm to do the same. We need to think things through. I'm not saying we need to live in timidity. We need to be waiting for our magic eight ball to show up. And, okay, finally, an answer from God. We don't need an Urum and a Thummim. Like, we can talk directly to God himself. Say, look, here's what I'm considering. What should I do? And he can answer you through the people around you. He can answer you directly. Something could just open up in front of you. I don't know what it's going to be because I'm not in charge of things and you're better off that way. But I do know that when I make choices on my own without thinking things through, the vast majority of the time, I end up screwing myself over and screwing over the people around me. So I've had to learn very slowly, because God is patient with me, that I need to consult him. On such matters and ask, what do you want? This is what I see, but I don't see eternity. I don't see what's going to happen tomorrow. I only see what I see in front of me. What do you see? Now, Abram, meanwhile, ends up in a land that, while still useful, isn't as lush as where Lot goes. But what Abram does have is God's continued blessings. As he once more affirms his promises to Abram, and adds on to them for his faith. God promises to make Abram's descendants countless and for the land to be his. Both eventually come to pass on God's time. God doesn't make promises he intends to go back on. He will always be faithful. And Abram, knowing this, continues to create further altars to God to honor him. And that's one of the things we see throughout Abram's life. When he moves somewhere and there's not previously an altar, Chances are he's going to build an altar there so that he can worship God. Now we don't have to do the same here. We have churches, we have online churches and stuff like that. We have small groups. There are plenty of other places we can go, but like learn from that example of wherever he went, his mind most of the time was focused on God and what he desired and for ways where he could seek to glorify God. And with all that in mind, once again, a very Merry Christmas to everyone. Uh, I will see you guys next week. But before all that, uh, please, give you get a chance to leave a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice. If you're interested in my fiction writing, you can find my works at StarvingWritersGuild.com or on Amazon by searching for the name MC Ashley. If you're interested in some further solid studies into the Bible and its teachings, then check out the other members of the Anazal Ministries podcasting network. You can contact me at LetNothingMoveYouPodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to extend a special thank you to Joshua Knoll for the editing that he does and for the music he adds to the podcast. And with all that in mind, God bless you all in accordance to His will and not mine. And allow me one more time to remind you, let nothing move you. Hey guys, are you interested in podcasting, but don't know where to go? Well, check out Zencaster.com and go ahead and make an account there and use special promo code, let nothing move you all caps. That way you can get 30% off of your next deal to go ahead and set things up. So you can figure out how to edit stuff using Zencaster.com to host your stuff, to get things done there. So check out Zencaster.com, use special promo code, let nothing move you. All right. See ya.